The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to the show. We have a special treat today. I'm very excited about it. So my guest has moved in and out of the comfort zone in his own career many, many times. He's a seasoned corporate executive, and he's gone from one role to a completely different role to a completely different role you're going to see. At each move, he was not the expert, and more importantly, he didn't try to become the expert. He still had to win the team over, and he had to manage the resistance of people around him who didn't believe he should be leading, and the resentment that they didn't get the jobs, and he still had to deliver results. But as you're going to hear, he used an interesting set of skills to get there rather than the expert. So he's Mark, our guest is going to talk about the key to his success in each of these transitions. And I think you're going to find there's a great deal of practical advice about moving from one role to the next role and how you add value quickly, especially when you don't know the detailed content of the work that you are now responsible for leading. So my guest is Mark Howes. Mark is a seasoned executive at Deere & Company, and he's held a variety of leadership roles, including, now listen to the range of these, senior counsel, Business Development Manager, Corporate Secretary and Associate General Counsel, Marketing Integration Manager, Factory Manager, VP of Human Resources and Communication, and as if that's not enough, he's just recently appointed Senior Vice President and Chief Administrative Officer, Effective Number 1. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Wow. As I'm, this is going to be exciting. So I want you've done a whole bunch of things, and I just listed them. But you know, you've had an interesting experience before that. So before you joined corporate life, what were you doing? Well, I started out immediately before joining corporate life. I was a U.S. Army soldier. I was a major in the U.S. Army. Uh, I served 12 years in the Army. Actually, my first job ever out of college was working for Congress. Worked did that for about a year, and then I went to work for a university. I uh, did that for about three years, managing a program to get veterans into into a post-secondary education. And after that, maybe it was working with veterans, I decided I wanted to enlist in the Army. So having a college degree from the University of Michigan, I enlisted in the U.S. Army, got a chance to go to officer candidate school where I was an artillery officer and served as, as an artillery officer for several years and then was selected to go to law school with a program they call the Funded Legal Education Program where I went and my job was to go to school, went back to University of Michigan for law school and became a judge advocate and did a variety of jobs there, a prosecutor, ran a legal assistance uh, office. And the last job was doing government contract work immediately be prior to coming to Deer. 
Oh my goodness. That is a long, you must get restless or something after every few years. Is that the, you know, I, I, either restless or I can't keep a job. One, one <laughs> Given how long you've been at deer, I have a feeling it hasn't, it isn't about keeping the job. All right. So now I want to highlight a couple of these jobs. You've had senior counsel. So that makes sense. You've got a law degree. You've done some legal assistance, a job advocate. I can get that one. But then you go from senior counsel to do business development. Yeah, yeah. For for us, at the time we had a, a three divisions: the ag di- division, the construction and forestry division, and the what we call consumer, commercial and consumer equipment division. They make gators and all sorts of grass cutting, whether it be golf, or commercial, or or things you might find at Lowe's or Home Depot. And we did the strategy as well as the business development. And for us, it's strategic relationships or buying and selling of companies that might uh, add to our portfolio. And um, I supported, uh, because I did contract work, I supported some of that division's work earlier. And uh, the opportunity came to go work in business development. It was one that required me to move. It was several grades below my pay grade. Uh, but I thought it would give me a tremendous opportunity to develop some relationships, learn some things I didn't know. I could be impactful, and it would make me more marketable. So I said, let's go for it. It sounds exciting. So I did. So, all right, I just want to make sure everybody understood that one. So you interacted with this strategy group, which does a lot of M&A and business development and strategy because you're supporting them in your legal work. And that's how you get the exposure. But you said it was three grades below your pay grade, three steps down. It was actually it was two grades below my pay grade at the time. Yep. Two grades below my pay grade. Okay. And you did it because it looked like it would be fun and you'd learn something. Yeah, I, you know, I usually, I, I've got, I got a sort of a, a framework that I use. One is, will I learn something I don't know? If yes, then that leans toward taking the job. Will I develop some relationships I don't have? If that's a yes, it leans toward taking the job. Uh, will I have the opportunity to be impactful? And if I think I can be impactful, that leans toward taking the job. And finally, will this make me more marketable? You know, will this, will people, will I, will I have more skills than I have right now if I do this? And if all those things are yes, why wouldn't you take the opportunity? Okay. All right. I get it. All right. So now you do the business development job and then did you go back to be corporate secretary at that point or did you go to marketing next? No, I went to corporate secretary after that. I was uh, in, in BD uh, and we did a variety of good, you know, some good work there. And uh, and then the general counsel came and said, we'd like you to become corporate secretary. And I was pretty shocked, actually, at the time, because that was a tremendous jump uh, to go from being a manager in, in business development to uh, to being an officer of the company, you know, appointed by the, the board of directors. So it was a pretty big deal. And, and my initial response was, you know, I'm not a securities lawyer. And, and he said, yeah, we actually know that. <laughs> and I said, but I don't have a learning disability. And so I took uh, took the job with full fury in order to uh, to do the you know to try to be impactful in that job. Okay. All right. So there's already a whole bunch of stuff that you're going to be responsible for dealing with the board of a company, which presumably you hadn't done much of at that point. Correct. And securities, something you don't know. So how did you do that job as corporate secretary? Well, initially, I went in and as a lawyer, lawyers, you know, part of what lawyers know how to do is learn, right? You, you can kind of get up to speed. And so I immediately said, okay, I'm going to be responsible for all the securities, SEC, New York Stock Exchange, all the reporting for the company. So I've got to understand all the intricate securities laws. 
And so I started working on that. But I've got great relationships with friends of mine who were general counsel at other companies, other publicly traded companies. So I called and I kind of walked through. I just got this new job. Here's my approach. I'm going to read the 33 Act. I'm going to read the 34 Act. I'm going to, and they kind of stop. That is not what you need to do. You have people who are, you know, seasoned professionals in that space. You will never learn as much as they already know about this. What you need to do is understand governance. You need to go back and read the last three years of board minutes. Read all the committee minutes for the last three years. Understand the issues that the board of directors is dealing with. In addition, why don't you make understand what other boards your board members sit on, and then call those corporate secretaries to find out the issues that they're dealing with in those companies, because if they're dealing with that issue in a, in a, on another board, inevitably it's going to show up at your board. So now you know the issues that are important to them, and those are the areas where you need to focus. And that was great okay. advice. All right. So this is not about learning the details of the law that you're now responsible for. But it is definitely about learning what are the dynamics that need to happen on the board, what kind of discussions they want, how are they going to be doing it. Exactly. Exactly. And and, and understanding from a governor's perspective, what are are the things that they're being challenged with? What are the hot topics that boards are, are being faced with? And understand all the nuances associated with those so that you can help the board work through those issues. And those usually aren't issues of law or regulation. They're usually issues around governance. And, and that was so that was a big aha for me, uh, and I really got up to speed on on the. It's almost like instead of reading the textbook, read the newspaper to really understand what what the current events are, and then do a deep dive on those events so that you're smart about the things that are important to the people that you support. Okay, all right. So, Mark, if you're advising somebody who's going into a role where they they are not an expert in something, how do you advise them to learn what is really the headlines of the newspaper? Uh, actually, I, I've got a pretty routine process that I use, uh, and I, it, it's really not rocket science. I talk to people, so I will kind of sit down and create some questions, things like, um, "What's the most important thing?" to you about this job. Um, what are the most, what are the unexploited opportunities that we have that, you know, that nobody's going after, but if we go after these things, it'll be really impactful. Um, if I could only do three things, what are the three things I should work on? Um, what are your most frustrating interactions with, you know, with the area that I support? What are the most uh, fulfilling interactions with the area I support? These types of questions. And I'll ask them of the people we support. I'll ask them the people who work for me. And I'll ask them of people further down in the organization. And with that, then I begin to triangulate the things that are, are value-added, the things that we do that, that frustrate people so that we can say, okay, if these are really important things, but we're doing it in a way or we're delivering these things in a way that creates frustration, then we're not getting what we expect out of this. So if I can ease the frustration here, that's going to be impactful. If we're working on things to the left and they want things worked on to the right because that's really where the business is going, then I'm working on things that are maybe interesting, but they're not impactful. So understanding that really takes into account all the you know sort of shareholders I have or, or stakeholders that I have, understand the importance, do some triangulation, and then work on the things that really that really matter. Okay, so now presumably when you talk to all the stakeholders, you end up with some differing opinions. So how oh, yeah. do you kind of un- 
unpack that. I'm, I'm sorry. Say, I, I misunderstood you. Say it once again. All right. So you get you talk to all these stakeholders up and down, mm-hmm. and you end up with different opinions on what's important or what's going to be most impactful, where the opportunities are, what's working, what's not working. How do you then rationalize that down to the few things you're really going to focus on? Uh, I, I think part of it is I, I take my time. I don't I don't go in and assume that I know. In fact, I do the opposite. I assume I don't know. I assume that there's some good intent, but I assume that there's probably some self-serving, some self-serving answers in in this piece. And then I start to think about what are the challenges that we're really facing. You know, what 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 are the real challenges we're facing? So that I'm not creating a. Um, I'm, I want to cure something. I don't want to treat something. I want to cure something. And so, you know, to the extent you can understand the difference between a symptom. And, you know, and, and the actual disease, then you know it gives you a better sense of what you need to focus on. So some of that may be just a sense of working with, with in different situations that gives you, a, you know, a breadth of, of understanding about issues. Some of it is understanding um, the people that are closest to it probably have a better sense of, of what it is. Um, it's, I'll give you an HR example. One of the things that was interesting to me when I took over HR was this notion that people didn't necessarily respect HR, but they loved their HR person. It was sort of like Congress, right? I, I love my Congress member, but my member of Congress, but I don't like Congress as a whole. And I always wondered, how can that be? Well, if, if the only way, if the only person you interact with from HR is 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 uh, you you have a positive experience about then how do you develop a negative experience about HR and and it was my view that it, it happens because the person in HR feels that way because mm-hmm. they're on the front lines and things happen you know there's some process that we create and when we create this process it flows out to the to the business but the people on the front line aren't aware or they aren't adequately prepared so they're they're embarrassed so they they're not actually taken care of when they this new thing happens, and their business person turns to say, "What is this all about?" And they have to say, I, I'm, "I'm not really sure." Right. So when when I think about those things, I think about what is who, who's closest to this, who's who really is impacted about this, who's giving me what they their actual experience versus an experience that they've heard from somebody else. And I think that helps me to sort of not just go to the noisiest thing, but the actual thing that actually matters. So it sounds like, Mark, you've developed some pretty good diagnostic skills to be able to unpack the, we always say, the wheat from the chafe. But in effect, that's what you're doing, kind of where, how does this all fit together? What makes sense of it? What do I think is real here? And so on. Yeah, I, I suppose I am. I hadn't, hadn't really thought about it that way. It's just sort of how I operate. <laughs> okay. All right. So... I got to take you. So you're the corporate secretary. You've dealt with the board. You've been doing all of this stuff with the board, um, focusing on the headline, big picture issues, and then you go to take a marketing integration manager. Yeah, that was that was interesting. Um, so again, I'm you know my my picture's on the website, right? I'm important. I got I'm an officer of the company. Uh, I signed the proxy statement, right? So, and then there's this, uh, I get a call, and I'll give you the details of the call, which is kind of interesting. Um, when uh, the call, I'm in China at the time, and uh, I get a call, and it says, uh, basically, at the next annual meeting, you're going to retire. I mean, you're going to resign. And, um, and uh, okay, 
well, who's going to take my place? They mentioned, oh, that she'll, she'll be great. There'll be great opportunity. Well, who's taking her place? And, well, he's coming to take her place. That'll be great. Finally, you said, you know, it's quiet. I said, well, what about me? Oh, well, you get a call from somebody else. And I get a call from the person who was, the, at the time, uh, one of our division presidents who said, I want you to come work in marketing. And I said, okay, um, you know, tell me about the role. And uh, I said, well, we'll figure it out. And so, oh, okay, we'll figure it out. That sounded, you know, asterisk number one, we'll figure it out. Okay, um, well, how big is the team? I won't, you won't have a team. It'll be an individual contributor. We'll want, there's a special project we want you to work on. Okay, so now I'm going from being officer of the company to an individual contributor with no team. Okay, um, and it's in a different city, so I have to move again. So I, so I immediately blame it on my wife and say, well, you know, I'm in China. I need to go home and talk to my wife about this. You know, we've, we've, we just moved here a couple of years ago, blah, blah, blah. And he says, oh, one other thing. We don't want you to move. We want you to commute to the job. And it really, it, was, it struck me. I mean, I was now I'm saying, okay, you want me to go for a job that's really not defined to work on a project with, you know, as an individual contributor when I'm an officer of the company and I got to commute. And, and it was at that point that I said, do I trust the company or not, right? Do, mm-hmm. I, you know, do, do I really want to do this or do I think they're trying to fire me? And I said, they know how to fire you if they want to do this. This is a tremendous opportunity. I went back to my things. Will I learn something I don't know? Will I develop some relationships I don't have? Will I have the opportunity to be impactful? Will this make me more marketable? When I looked at all those things, I said, again, this is a great opportunity to continue to expand my portfolio of, of, of skills, my portfolio of impact, if you will, um, and the relationships that I have in this company that I didn't grow up in. So it was a, it was a great opportunity for me. Well, Mark, I can imagine most people would have said, thank you, goodbye, um, because that took a lot of trust that this was going to work out okay, because that's a big yeah. move backwards. So yeah, did you? Yeah, <laughs> it was. <laughs> Did you have moments when you were thinking, "Oh my gosh, what am I doing?" Uh, you know, I had I had a few of those. I had a few of those. They they occurred mostly on Sunday evenings. So it was a six hour drive. So there was really no way to get there easy by plane. It was a six hour drive, and on Sunday, I still had two uh, two young children at home. And on Sunday evenings, when when I was preparing to make my drive, I would get to Daddy. Do you have to go? Those were times I said, "What am I doing? Do I really want to do this?" And, you know, sometimes you've got to, you know, you've got to make a decision, right? Is this, it won't last forever. Um, And are you willing to, you know, is the work interesting enough? Are you being, you know, making a big enough impact to say, this is worth the sacrifice. I think, I believe something on the back end will be better. And so you just got to work through that. Okay. All right. And I have to ask, what did you learn in that process? Um, Actually, I learned a lot about, so I had understood the uh, supply management because actually I, I worked with supply management going in. So I understood how we bought and, and sold supplies, how we sort of uh, did that part of business. From a, I understood the strategy of the business working in, in business development. I had a deep understanding of our consumer equipment division, but now I was going to work in the ag division. I was going to work in the heart of the ag sales and marketing division. And, and that's really the bread and butter of of, of our company in terms of the, you know, the highest margin sort of um, iconic product, products that we sell. And, 
you know, the product, the, the, the project that I was working on was really impactful, um, and it was collaborative in nature. And if I could make this, if I could actually accomplish this, then not only would it, would it show me, show that I was willing to take one for the team, if you will, but also that I was able to do something that has lasting impact uh, in, 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 in an area where I didn't have some expertise. And so I think, from, from my point of view, I think it, th- those were the things that really caused me to do that. But one of the other pieces that helped with that was I had a coach. And my coach was, um, had been with me when I, was, when I became the corporate secretary. And so I had somebody to kind of talk it out with um, to help me through that. And I think that's really valuable. Somebody who is non-threatening, who you can kind of let off some steam with, uh, but they won't hold it against you. Uh, and then okay. say, now that you've let off the steam, you, you've said this is what you want to do. Let me help you make sure you stay focused on what's important. And, and I think that having a coach through that was really important for me as well. Okay. All right. So now no team. So it's a different leadership role. It's a project. It's collaborative. you got to persuade people to do stuff presumably they don't want to do. What was the secret to success there? Um, I just took, I took some time to, to get to know people. Um, and there was one thing that really that we did. We, we, we needed to impact both dealers, manufacturing, and, and customers. And so um, I got one particular factory to let me act like a customer. You know, I, I, I took the role, I took on the identity of a customer and came to the plant and spent a day there as a customer who was buying a particular piece of equipment and going through what was called a gold key tour process. Where one of the things we were trying to do was make this standard and use it for customer um, acquisition as well as sort of customer recognition. And so, you know, as we thought through that, I said, I need to see this from everybody's point of view. And so I actually got the manufacturing folks to let me do that in the plant. And it was, it was pretty amazing because now I'm the customer, and they think I'm the customer. And I got to know enough about the product you know, that costs a lot of money to suggest that I'm willing to, to, to do this. And so it really gave me some insights around what the manufacturing folks thought were important, what, what the marketing folks thought were important, what the sales folks thought were important, what the dealers thought were, was important. And I think that really, understanding that now allows me to, now that I've got that understanding, go back and talk about this issue and why it's important from their, their perspective, their point of view, and, and what we think this can deliver, rather than, I need you to change what you're doing. But here's an opportunity that I think can help you do what you're doing better. And that's a very okay. different conversation that I need you to change what you're doing. Yeah. So I, you know, already, I understand where you're coming from. Um, and we can talk about it. We can use your language. That's what I think that's part of what wins people over. So Mark, it strikes me that at every one of these transitions, what you do is a lot of learning, a lot of asking questions, a lot of talking people or trying to figure out what matters to people, what's important, where the pain points are, what they really need, what the experiences are really like. And you spend some time doing that and then distill that down to what you think really is going to make a difference. Is that a fair summary? That's the fair summary. Okay. Amazing. Truly amazing. Boy, and what a difference than believing that I have to go in and know everything instantaneously and be the smartest person on this topic in the room. Okay, we're going to take a break. 
when we take a break, I'm going to come back and talk with Mark. And I want to talk a little bit about how do you win the team over, um, especially when people don't necessarily want to be led by you in the first place. So we'll be right back. With me today is Mark Howes, seasoned executive at Deere & Company, who's had a broad range of experiences from corporate counsel, senior counsel, to business development, to marketing integration manager, factory manager, human resources, and the list goes on. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace, Every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, Call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Mark Howes. Mark's a seasoned executive at Deere & Company, and he's held a variety of roles, many of which sound like expertise roles, but he's led them sort of as a non-expert, starting as senior counsel and then doing business development, which is strategy and M&A, then being corporate secretary, then marketing integration manager, factory manager, VP of HR and communications, and now is going into role as chief administrative officer. And Mark's skill, I think, as he's been describing this, is the ability to decide quickly what it is that's going to have the biggest impact. And he does that by asking a series of questions. I just want to repeat these. So Mark, make sure I get them straight. You'll ask people up and down, your, all of your stakeholders, above you and below you, what's the most important thing to them about the job? Where are the unexploited opportunities? What are the three things they really want you to do in that job? What's the most frustrating areas that they interact with your area on? And what are the best places that they interact with your area on? And then on all of that, you're looking for ultimately what's the real components that are going to make a difference. And I love Mark says, I want to cure the disease, not to treat it. So that means you're looking for what's the underlying real problem. Right. Okay, so Mark, we could talk a lot more about some of the transitions, and I may come back to that one if we have time. But often in those transitions, 
somebody else thinks that they are smarter on the expertise than you and that they've been sitting there in a seat and deserve to be the lead and here you come in from outside without any knowledge, there has to be resentment. So has that happened and how have you dealt with it? Sure, it's happened. It's happened. And, um, you know, I, 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 I try to empathize with the folks and, and recognize that, you know, they thought because I've been in this situation, here's how this is, this will play out. I mean, I've had a situation once where when I was a factory manager, um, where when they announced it, everyone in the room looked to the, to the current ops manager, uh, to see what his reaction would be because the expectation would he get the job. Um, and to his credit, you know, we had mentioned it to him before, but to his credit, he supported me through that whole time. And so those, those sorts of things help. Um, but you've got to figure out a way to develop your own credibility. And, it, and it's, it's not as a leader. So if I, I mean, as, a, as, a, as an expert, if I go in uh, and into the HR role as if I'm an expert in HR, everybody knows I'm not. And so to try to somehow do that suggests that I'm not candid, I'm not truthful, um, I'm not transparent. Uh, so you don't want to do that, right? So I go in pretty, pretty clearly saying, I'm not the expert here. Um, and I understand you are, but I am in charge. And, and so what I want to do is understand what you do. Um, I ask a lot of questions. I'm not asking questions to, to gotcha. I'm asking questions to learn. So I need you to help teach me what I need to know to be successful in this. In return, I want to give you the opportunity to continue to develop and show how excellent you are, how brilliant you are at what you do. Um, and, and so part of that is helping sort of a, a deal between them. You know, I, I will be candid with you. I will listen to you. I will, I will encourage you. I will, I will leverage your strengths. Um, in turn, I'm going to try to leverage my own strengths. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try to you create an opportunity for you to be excellent at what you do. I'm going to trust you to do your job. I may even give you more responsibility. Um, but in in that, in doing that, we're going to make sure that we've got to trust each other. Uh, and part of that is being transparent with it. People don't trust people they don't know. So I, I, I'm a little bit more open and transparent with people about this because the reality is I am in charge, right? So I don't need to sort of get the job. I got the job. Now it's about getting people to work for me uh, and getting the team to work together. That's, that's really the challenge there. And I think some people spend the time trying to prove that they should have gotten the job. I don't, that's already done. I don't, I don't need to spend any time doing that. Now I need to be effective in the job. And that's really about, understanding the team, the strengths of the team, and how to get the team to work better together. That's great. So I love this. Very clear that you're in charge. And you're to say to people, I'm not the expert you are, because that's honest, that's truthful, but I'm in charge. And so we're going to succeed in this one together, I'm presuming is how you do it. And I love this notion that you don't feel like you have to prove that you should have gotten the job. That's already proven because you got it. And now the matter is about the impact. Um, I can't tell you how many times I see that one go awry. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you spend your time working on the wrong thing. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and then you end up showing why you maybe you shouldn't have gotten the job. Maybe this wasn't the right choice. So that's why understanding what the real issues are and getting after them as, you know, as, as quickly. You, only, you have a finite amount of time and energy. And if you spend your energy on things that don't really add any value, aren't really going to move the ball, aren't going to be impactful – then you're not spending your time on the things that will. 
Okay. All right. So I can imagine you like in going to HR and there are a couple of people who are experts, deep experts on some particular components of HR and you say, teach me. Were they slow to do that? Did you have anybody who said mm, not a little bit, not too much? No, you know, I, actually, it, it's not, I, I, I've not had that. I've not had that, and 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 it's not as all. It's not always sort of teach me. It's it's. I mean, that's the underlying message. But sometimes it's uh, help me understand what you're doing. Help me understand how I can be supportive in helping you drive the agenda that you're trying to drive. And if it's a complex issue and you can't explain it to me, then I think you don't really understand it, right? Um, and so. Being is your ability to be able to, in, in pretty plain English, walk me through what's going on, uh, what you're working on, why this is important, how it connects to everything else, really allows me to do two things. It assesses my understanding of whether or not you really know what you're doing, but it also helps me understand more about the issue. And I think those two things, the more I understand, the more I can be helpful. Um, the more I understand, and, you know, it, I think part of it is being agile in your learning, right? You, you're always, you, you want to be curious about what folks are doing. Um, and a few times, once you do it a few times where you start asking very probing questions and folks aren't prepared for that, they recognize, I really got to be prepared when I go talk to them. Um, and you're not embarrassing people about it. You just, you want to understand it. And, and when, when they can't, articulate that to you, it causes them to get better at what they do um, in order to make sure that you're adequately prepared for it. And then if you help navigate through some things, um, I think that builds more credibility with you. I, I learned something in the Army a long time ago, which was you should do what only you can do. Because if you're doing what somebody else can do, then nobody's doing what only you can do. And so empower people to do what they can do so that you are focused on doing the things that only you can do. And I think that helps people uh, in this space because I'm not trying to overmanage you in some respect. I'm not trying to do your job. I just want to, I want to help create the space for you to be excellent at what you do. Okay. I can see how that would win people over. Um, it's about, I've had this conversation with a series of senior executives where you where the question is how do you know what is it that only you can do? Um, and one of my favorite stories about this one is actually a senior woman um, who's now retired who was on maternity leave at one point and she just decided I'm going to enjoy my maternity leave and that means my team has got to come up to speed. If they work together, they can probably make 90% of the decisions without me. Mm -hmm. And she said, coming out of that exercise, they learned two important things. The team learned that they could indeed do about 70% of it without her. And the second thing, they all learned what the 30% was that they couldn't do without her. Mm -hmm. So how do you go about deciding what only you can do? That, that You know, that, that's, that's hard. And, and it's not always um, dis discreet. Uh, what I mean by that is, is as, you, as you're thinking about that, part of it is getting, I think the first step is getting your team comfortable with making the decision. Because sometimes it's not that they won't make the It's not that you haven't given them, given them the autonomy to do it. It's, the, it's, it's that they're, uh, they're concerned that if I make this decision and I get it wrong, I've got to pay the price for this. And so you've got to let people know, look, if, if you've 
based on the information you had at the time, you make the best call you can. You did it in the right way. You know, we talk about the how. It's, it's, it's how you do things, right, in terms of integrity. If you've, you've acted with integrity, you made the best decision you can, it turns out to be wrong, it can ha- I, I will support you on that. We'll learn from it, we'll go on, and we'll keep it moving. If, if they know that I will support them on that, then they're more likely to make those decisions. If they know that if this happens, I'm going to toss them under the bus, then they're, they're going to come to me with every decision so that they can have plausible deniability that really this was your call, not mine. So the first thing is to get them empowered and let them know that you have their back in, in terms of when they, when they make, you know, take reasonable risks uh, and, they, and, if it gets, and if it's wrong. I think the other thing is... I think areas where diplomacy is required, um, particularly at this level, are, are way, areas where I have the capital to do it. Uh, and and if it turns out, if I have to ruffle some, ruffle some feathers to do it, it won't be fatal for me. Whereas if somebody else did it, lower in the organization, they may not have the capital and it might it might cause a bad taste in someone's mouth that lingers that might ultimately impact them downstream because they did something like that. So for me, those are the kind of things that I say, let me do this. You know, you get, you tell me what you need done, make, make sure I understand it, and then let me go and fight some of these battles that I should fight to create the opening for you to do what you need to do. Because if you can't, if you fight, you might win the battle, but you'll lose the war. That, you know, people will be upset with you for years because of this, whereas if I did it, they may be upset for a while, but they'll get over it and we'll keep it moving. Uh, so I think, you know, those are some of the areas, if, if it tends to be in that sort of space, that's the kind of thing that I want to do. One, because, you know, I've, I've sort of earned the stripes to be able to do it. But two, I'm protecting my people and getting them to a place where eventually they'll be, you know, where they're strong enough to be able to withstand the antibodies of an organization to be able to do that themselves. Okay. That makes sense. That makes a ton of sense. Um, and I certainly have seen a lot of careers come derailed and never get back on track again. I mean, they may stay at the company, but they just never go as far as they wanted because they waded into an area that needed diplomacy and they didn't have the capital to do it. And their resentment does breed. I agree. I get that. So it is a matter of um, giving up as much as you can and making sure that people are doing the decisions in the right way that they have made the right calls, they've acted with integrity, they've done the things the way it should be done, and then hanging on to the diplomacy part. Now, Mark, you talked earlier about um, getting people to explain what they do. And if it's complicated and they can't explain it, then you start worrying that that person doesn't know what they need to know. So how do you make a decision? You're not the expert now, so you can't really determine whether they know their stuff or not now. How do you make this decision that somebody does need to be moved on, and how quickly do you do it? You know, it's it's a I, I tend to um, I tend to look at things. Um, so one, I I don't I don't I couldn't tell you it's six months, and if you don't have it in six months, you got to go, because I think it really depends on the situation. Um, but what I what I look at is, do you have the resources to your job because sometimes it's a matter of they're just overwhelmed things have changed they've got they've gotten a job things have changed and now they're overwhelmed and they haven't told anybody how things have changed 
and they just aren't able to be as effective in their job because there's too much to do. So do you do you have the sort of the time to do your job? Do you have the resources to do your job? Are you still trying to create something, you know, with a typewriter when when you've got a word processor yeah, as an example, right? I do to use a crude example. Or do, you know, do you have the time? Do you have the resources? And do you have the training, right? Do you actually, you know, are are, we, are you d- using yesterday's knowledge about this topic that is very dynamic and has now moved and changed a bit and you're trying to create that new put that new framework into your existing dynamic, right? That new the new set of circumstances into your old framework. And and as a result it, you think you understand but you don't because it's it's changing. And so if I look at any of those and find that you need more that you don't really have all, all you need to do the job, then I'm gonna try to get you some help. If I look at it and say that you're dealing with, you don't have really the resources or the, the tools, then I want to try to get you the tools. If, if I look at it and say things are changing, but you aren't keeping abreast of the changing and you want to, then I'm going to try to put you in touch with people who know this stuff, whether it be a you know, conference board or some other thing like that, or whether it be friends of mine or, or relationships that I have at other companies that work in that space that I can put you in touch with, have you go sit with them to get up to speed. So I think those are sort of the the big pieces, right? Because um, most people have reasonable intelligence and given you know adequate opportunity, they'll get up to speed. Um, if it's be, if it's you don't want to change, this is the way I've done it. I've always done it this way. I don't care that things are changing. This is the way I want to do it. Now, if if I can't get you to change, then maybe I need to get you in a different role. Um, it, it's when those things, when it becomes apparent that you either are incapable of dealing with the new reality or unwilling to deal with the new reality, then that's when I feel like I got to make a change. Okay. So, and there's no timeline. It's not three months. It's not six months. It's that nine months. It's however long it takes you to figure out where this person is and do they have the things that they need to do to be prepared to do the job. Yep. Okay. And, and you know, and, and I'm, I'm always cautious too, because um, you roll into a new area, you find somebody that's been there for a long time. And and my assumption is that they didn't sneak through, that somebody at some point saw that these people are adding value and they've you know, they've made their way through the, through the course of their career by doing this. They didn't slip through that, that they've actually added value. And so that's when I got to say, what's changed? You know, what am I seeing that everybody else you know, didn't see or what, what, what am I not seeing that everybody else saw? What, what's going on? So I don't automatically assume that I'm smarter than everybody else who's dealt with this person over time. And, and that helps me not go in and, and do something. I remember one of my, one of my uh, great mentors uh, said something to me one time. That was a person that was working for him. And I thought this person was just terrible and that he needed to fire him. You know, he needs to go. I'm watching him. This person needs to go. And he said to me, um, let me tell you how this plays out. One, if I fire him, I'm going to you know, upset a whole bunch of people I have no idea I'm going to upset because this person has great relationships and, um, and, and long tenure serving very well. Two, until uh, whoever, if I, if I get rid of them, whoever I bring in better be better. They got to be, you know, they have to be, they can't be equal. They have to be better. And three, until I do that, I got to do their work, <laughs> right? So, so there isn't, you know. So it, it, when I when I look at the risk associated with each one of those, 
it's much better for me to try to get this person up to speed than to sort of walk, walk in and clean house. And and that was early in my, very early in my career. Somebody told me that, and that actually has been extremely valuable for me because I've seen several times when people go in. I'm the new boss. I'm going to clean house and bring all my people in there. Their people don't know anything about sort of the dynamics of the job, right? They may be good subject matter experts. They don't understand the dynamics of the job, and then they get roasted, <laughs> and they don't last. And before you know it, they're gone. Them and their people are gone because they didn't really understand what they were getting into. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's often a lot of discussion, particularly with people who are high performers and have a perfectionist tendency at any rate and like to get things done well and want to see things move fast. And they get quite frustrated with the team that's around them. And the advice, you know, their senior people will always say to them is you got to learn to work with all types. Okay, well, that doesn't help. I love your three questions here. You know, there's a bunch that person has a bunch of great relationships and a lot of people are going to be upset. That has impact. And two, I'm going to replace them, but I better be sure that person is better by a long shot than the person I'm replacing with because they're not going to understand the dynamics of the job and that's going to be a mess. And then three, I have to do their work until I get the job filled. I love it. It certainly is a formula for saying, let me figure out how to make this person a little more effective than where they are right now, especially if you go back to resources, time and training. I love it, Mark. That's great. That's great. So you said a couple of times that, um, you know, you're trained as a lawyer and you're a fast learner and what lawyers do is come up to speed really quickly. Any tips on how to come up to speed? Um, Yeah, I I think I think part of it is. um, uh you've got to be willing to get your hands dirty and, and really um, go deep when you have the opportunity. And, and what I mean by that is I would rather, let me go back to when I was a corporate secretary. There were, there were, there's a lot of stuff you got to cover, right? I mean, just if you think about all the securities acts, um, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley uh, was, was in place at the time. This was, you know, I was there pre-Dodd-Frank. But you think about all the regulations that are out there. There's a lot of stuff to know. And you can't really know all of it. But there are certain things that come up that will be significant issues, seminal issues that the company will have to deal with. When those issues come up, I go deep. So I may not know, I may not try to, you know, to sort of get, you know, be a master uh, of, you know, uh, what's this saying? Uh, uh, I know a little bit about everything, but a lot about nothing kind of thing, right? I don't want to do that. I want to figure out those times that where things are really, really, really important and then go deep on understanding that issue completely. Um, the, 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 the pros, the cons, what the arguments are for and against, how other companies are dealing with these issues, how other companies have dealt with the issues, researching how, you know, how is my circumstance like other companies, how is my circumstance uh, distinguishable from other situations, really going deep when you have the opportunity to go deep. And I think that's, for me, that, that has proven to be helpful because you are not sort of learning, saying, you're not approaching learning saying, I just need to, I need to learn directions. Um, I need to learn how to get from point A to point B. So I need, I need to know that route because that's the route I'm going to have to take. And knowing the directions to places I'm not going is not really important right now. And so it's really, I think that's, that's the way I go after it. Understanding, 
you know, what those opportunities are to go deep and then going deep and really understanding those with, with you know, with the degree of precision around that. And, and, and that's been very helpful for me. Um, but you got to, you know, you got to be willing to, 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 to learn. When I, was, when I went to business development, as an example, everybody who worked for me had an MBA from a top school. So I said, uh, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to go back to school. Not so I can get an MBA, but because I need to understand the language, I need to have some credibility, I need to understand how to do this job and evaluate whether others are doing it effectively. So I said, you know, can you send me to Duke for an MBA? I didn't, I hadn't done any research. I didn't know Fuqua was the best business school on the planet at the time. Um, but that's where I went. And before I went, actually, I had to take a calculus class and an accounting class and a statistics class because I've been out of school so long um, just to be ready to go to, uh, to B school. And I had to do that all in one semester, working a new job, just moved. Those are three classes I would have never taken at the same time as an undergrad. Um, but it was important to me that I understood what I was doing. So I just said, well, it's time for me to buckle down. So I was in beautiful Raleigh, North Carolina for a little over two years. I never saw the mountains or the ocean because I was always studying or working. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, and as a fellow Dookie, I'm glad you chose Fuqua. That was a great spot to go to. We share that in common. Um, any rate, so I love this. You said you do went to do the MBA because everybody that was working for you had an MBA and you wanted to understand the language. So you knew what they were talking about and you could evaluate them and their effectiveness. Mm-hmm. That also sets up a very different study pattern for why you're going to do the MBA. It's not about I need to learn everything there is. There's some particular goals you have in mind about things you want to learn and probably some others you were not as concerned about. That's that's correct. I think, you know, when I got there, I I um you know, I, I wanted to really understand um strategy, you know, and and having been a military officer, Strategy was something I was very familiar with, so I, I took to that very easily, and that was probably probably one of the easier things for me. Um, but being in BD, I need to understand finance. How do you value a company? You know, what are the ways you can structure a deal? Um, that was really important. And and having worked in uh, doing contracting, commercial contracting, and doing some commercial litigation, I was familiar um, with terms. But I, I didn't. It's the difference between. It's like the difference between doing math and watching math being done. Geometry makes sense when you watch somebody do it on the board, but when you have to do it yourself, it's a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's 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 sort of that way. Um, and so I just I, I wanted to understand what I was doing. Uh, for example, if I were if I were taking an MBA right now, I would I would have focused more on the whole data analytics piece than I did, decision analysis and that. I mean, you know, I did well, it was, but I would have really, really, really done a deep dive in that class now because I think that now data analytics are so important in what you do. At the time, it was kind of interesting, um, but now it's, it's, it's critical, and I would have spent a lot more time there then than I, would have, than I did then. Okay. So, Mark, I still get that same sense that in all of this, what you're trying to do is really decide where's the significant issues. You do that in the beginning by the ways in which you ask people for what's important to them, what are the three things, where are the pain points, what's the source of frustration, what's going well. And then also by looking around saying, well, my stakeholders, what are the significant issues here and which issue is it that I need to drill deeply on? 
And I love that. It's not that you don't stop and learn stuff. It's that you focus on what it is you need to learn, what's important, the part that only you can add value on. You've talked a couple of times. I'm going to shift gears a bit. You've talked a couple of times about your Army experience. Um, mm-hmm. And I've encountered a number of people who've come through military training in multiple different countries who've been in the military for 10, 12 years, and they seem to believe that it's a valuable vessel for teaching corporate leadership. So what's your experience? What did the Army teach you that was has been so helpful? Yeah, I, that's a... I think military experience is tremendously, tremendously valuable. I'd say, one, um, at, the, at the very basic level, you learn to deal with people from all walks of life. Um, when you think about diversity, and we talk a lot about diversity in, in corporate America, in, in basic training, I had people from Puerto Rico. I had Dominicans from New York uh, who, you know, who spoke a little bit of, you know, English. Um, I had... Cowboys from Montana. I had you know guys from St. Louis. I was from Detroit. Um, folks from deep south in Alabama, Mississippi. A variety of different you know ethnic groups and 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 cultures uh, that all came together that had to work together as a team. And so you begin to you know what you end up. Some of these folks had never sort of spent any time. I'm, I'm African American. Had spent any time with anybody African American. Right. And and not only now do we spend time, but we actually live in the same place. We shower in the same shower. Right. We we are in close proximity for a long time and you get to know people better. You get to appreciate and value each other's difference. I don't like the word tolerance. Don't don't tolerate me. I'm not a, you know, a wart. Um, but but you get you begin to appreciate people. You get to value sort of what it is about them that's unique um, and what it is about us that's the same. And I think that's the first thing that military service does give you, military service does for you. The second is talk about the importance of the team. Uh, it's never about me, it's it, or or mine. It's always about us and ours and we and what the team has to do. Um, and it, it teaches you to understand what the issue is. And maybe my whole focus on understanding the issue comes from this. There's something that happens in the Army. We call it an operations order. When you go out and whatever the thing is, there's an you know, operations order which talks about how you, you're going to complete this mission. And, and one of the key parts of that is called command. What is the commander's intent? What are you, what are you really trying to accomplish here? Uh, so that when you, have, when you come in contact with the enemy, you know what the end game is. It's not just that I want you to go and stand over here, and then if something happens, I don't know really what I'm doing here. But you know what the end game is. And I think really understanding, sort of embracing and and valuing diversity, um, understanding the importance of teamwork, and it's about the team, not you, and and how what you do impacts the overall team, understanding, trying to figure out what's most important to accomplish the mission, um, and understanding that if I don't do my part, I'm going to let my buddy down. Mm-hmm. That my buddy is depending on me to do the job. I think those things really, you know, create a framework for people who can. Uh, and you, I'd add one other thing: you get the job done. You are, you know, folks focused on accomplishing the mission um, and doing it, doing it in a way that you don't sacrifice who you are and your values in doing it. It's not by any means necessary. It's doing it and doing it the right way. 
such that you represent yourself and you represent your country in a way that, that makes you know makes them and makes you them proud on the back end. And I think those things all create a a really strong environment for both um, to be a part of a team, but also to lead a team. Mark, it's incredible. It sounds. I mean, I hear the same things from every time I ask people about Army. The both the team, the diversity components. I think you've said that very well, as well as understanding sort of where it is we're trying to go and what is it we're going to have to do to get there. The steps that are going to take us to get there. Mark, it's been fabulous having you as a guest today. So thank you. There's so much in here that I think is just amazing. But one of my favorite quotes from you today is you want to, as a leader taking over, you want to do what only you can do. And that leaves the freedom for everybody else to do what only they can do. Um, And I just think that has enormous impact on how we think about leading people. So, Mark, thanks very much. It was a pleasure. Pleasure has been mine. Thank you, Wanda. Okay, well, join us next week. Um, We'll be talking with Judith Pearl, and we're going to be talking about rethinking network and thinking about network not as networking in that route to get a new job, but as networking as a route to innovation with a different purpose, a different goal, and a different outcome. So join us then. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone, Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week.